Sandeep Dabade is a solutions engineer for StarTree. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means instead of just talking about how things work like I do, he actually has to make things work for people who are paying money and have expectations. There's a lot of pressure there. And that means there's a lot of things he knows that are super valuable. Today, we're gonna to talk about capacity planning in Pinot. How big should a cluster be uh, for a given kind of query and server? Uh, how much can a certain kind of machine process? All those kinds of things. It's so much practical information. Listen in on today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real-Time Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Berglund, and I'm joined in the studio today by my friend and colleague, Sandeep Dabade. Sandeep, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. Super excited to be on the show. It's great to have you. We're going to talk about capacity planning today, but uh, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. What do you do? How is it that you you know something about Pinot capacity planning? Uh Sure. Tell, yeah. Tell us about uh, yeah. I've been uh, part of cloud and big data space for a long time. Uh, been uh, joined Startree more than two years ago now. Uh, in one of the founding solutions architects, uh, I've done uh, a lot of pre and post sales side of things. Right. I uh, working with different use cases across different customers uh, to understand uh, their use case and then translate that into, uh, you know, a capacity plan for Pino on Pino side and then also deploy and then onboard that use case successfully on Pino. Awesome. All right. So frame the problem for us. What's, uh, uh, when, when you think of capacity planning, what, what's the, the task? Is this always um, for people who are running Pino themselves? Does it apply to the cloud? And, and how do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think this is one of the first things that any uh, company has to do, right? Like when, uh, when you're building a use case on Pino, you want to uh, quickly understand like what kind of, what does that translate into uh, in terms of infrastructure footprint, right? How many servers do I need uh, to host this uh, and uh, power my use case? Uh, so yeah, this is one of the key uh, aspects and there are quite a few things involved here in terms of uh, coming up with a capacity plan. We'll talk about those shortly. Uh, what are the things that we consider uh, as general rule of thumb, as starting point, and that should help us, uh, help you get started uh, basically initially. All right. So uh, what what are those things? What do we? Sure. How do how do we begin the process? Yeah. So let's take a step back, right? Like Pino is a uh, basically OLAP database that is designed to ingest data in real time and provide millisecond latencies under high read and write throughput, right? And uh, the Apache Pino architecture is uh, very smartly designed. Uh, it's decoupled uh, architecture. It can each individual component can be scaled independently as the need arises, and we'll talk about those needs. Uh, sizing of each individual component is influenced by certain technical KPIs. Uh, so let's quickly take a step back and understand what those components are, and then we'll jump into the technical KPIs if it makes sense. Uh, to start with, Pino servers, right? Servers are like heart of the system. Uh, they do the heavy lifting, host the data, uh, perform the compute on the data that they store. Uh, then there is another component called controller, which is brain of the system is what I call it. Uh, keeps track of which data is sitting on which server 
or which segment uh, is sitting on which server. Uh, and uh, a segment is nothing but a chunk of data that can be operated independently. Uh, then there is broker, uh, which is basically entry point into the read workloads or read queries that are coming into the system. Uh, broker is responsible for scattering the query across servers and uh, gathering the partial results from each individual server uh, and doing the global aggregation and return the response back. And lastly, we have Minions, uh, which is a completely stateless component. It is designed for performing back office operations without impacting the ongoing workloads or queries. One such task, there is quite a few operations that can be done. One such task is like batch ingestion task that Startree has built uh, to bring in that batch ingestion or unify uh, the batch with real time in Pino natively. Uh, through this task. Uh, so all of that can be done through uh, Minion uh, Minion as a component. And so that's a, that's a, that's a Pinot cluster, servers, brokers, uh, the controller, and Minions, a little zookeeper off to the side, remembering yeah. things on behalf of the controller. But uh, there you go. And uh, those components are important because those are the things, you know, when we say capacity planning, like you said, concretely, it's just how many how many instances do I need? What are the servers that I need? Uh, now we're using server in separate senses there. Yeah. <laughs> there's the general server and there's the Pinot server. Pinot server. But yeah, you want to know how many of these things. So you have to yeah. know what those parts are since they scale independently. You, you may not, well, you're not going to need as many minions as you're going to need servers um, and and everything. And I, at this point, yeah, what, uh, uh Keep, keep going. How do we do this? Sure. Yeah. So now let's look at the technical KPIs, right? At high level, um, uh, the, there are three technical KPIs, right? One is read throughput. Um, mm -hmm. Second is write throughput. And then lastly, data size. Data size. Okay. So when it comes to read throughput, uh, like how many queries per second uh, that you want to support, right? Uh, and this pretty uh, typically impacts broker sizing, which is the entry point into the read queries, like I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and also server sizing, uh, because uh, servers are the ones that are actually doing the heavy lifting of processing those queries uh, that on the data that they host. Uh, a tip, general rule of thumb when it comes to uh, uh, broker sizing is a four vCPU broker can uh, host up to 200, uh, 200 read queries per second okay uh, and that's very uh, like that's that should be a good used as a starting point for a typical olap query obviously every use case is different query patterns are different but this should work as a good starting point i would say yeah i was i was going to ask that that assumes some typical kind of query that's your basic filter and aggregate sort of Correct. thing that that you'd normally do so one four vpu server uh, you said 200 queries per second is what you should expect out of them, yeah, given that's, typical everything. Yeah, That's right. And it's interesting, uh, I just want to observe, when you say read and write throughput, we are talking about queries per second. We're not talking about like bytes or records or rows or anything like that. Again, given the assumption that um, the, the amount of data that comes back from an OLAP query is probably not much. Right, this isn't yeah. select star from a billion rows uh, and give me all the things. It's give me a scalar or a, a, a group of, you know, key, a key value mapping group by right. kind of thing. It's it's usually not a lot of data. That's the whole point. 
is right. there's all this data in the world and we're asking the database to make it small so that yeah. there's a number we can look at. So basic parameters there. Just, just you know, for, for anybody listening, queries per second. And again, that assumes this is OLAP and OLAP means a particular kind of pattern. And if you do different things, you're going to get different results. You know, see Sandeep after class. Uh, but, but given the typical everything, uh, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, a 4vCPU server, we talked about the general rule of thumb for broker, which can, a 4vCPU broker can hold 200 read queries per second. On mm -hmm. server side, it also, like I said, uh, it also influences server sizing. Uh, a typical rule of thumb that we follow, uh, or uh, I would uh, follow is like a 4vCPU server can host up to 100 QPS. Okay, 100, 100 QPS, 4vPU. Yeah. Wait, uh, a broker, you said, say... Server. Server. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now let's talk about write throughput, right? Like uh, when I say write throughput, it is obviously we're talking in real time context. Uh, context. Um, uh, it can. Uh, uh, so yeah. So in real time context, write throughput means uh, like what is the ingestion rate, right? How many events per second you are ingesting at at the ingestion source, mm -hmm. and how many partitions do you have at the ingestion source? Uh, Pino. Uh, uh, brings up uh, one consumer per partition uh, if you have replication factor of one, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have, let's say, 16 partitions, we'll bring up 16 consumers on Pino. And depending on the ingestion rate, uh, you would uh, need to size your server appropriately, right? Uh, so it's, uh, okay. again, a general rule of thumb is you want to have at least one vCPU per partition. Right, so let's say you have sixteen partitions, you'll need sixteen vCPUs. But uh, if ingestion rate is extremely low, then you could you could have you could have a sixteen partition uh, topic uh, consumed on a even a four or eight vCPU server as well. Right, uh, and at the current state of consumers in Kafka, I know. So it's always like to mention the date. It's early October two thousand twenty-three as we're recording this. Um, there's some stuff going on about multi-threaded consumers and um, Kafka as a queue. There's, there's things are happening where this might change, but the kind of basic, the way partitions and consumers work, you can't really have more than one uh, consumer as a single thread th thing. So uh, the one vCPU per, uh, per partition, you, you can't have more than that. Right. Okay. And that is, uh, so backing up again, we're assuming ingesting from Kafka and um, clarity for, for anybody who's new to this part of things. Um, yeah. Pino spins up consumers and it actually assigns partition or topic partitions to individual consumers on individual servers. It's not doesn't function as a consumer group that the normal thing where you know the cluster assigns partitions it's like nope partition one is going here i'm going to ingest it and so it's it's a it's a very particular thing to be discussed on another podcast but but yeah go on yep and i think just just to clarify as well right like pino can ingest from any uh, data source ingestion mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to real-time ingestion with kafka kinesis pulsar or pubsub uh uh, and then additionally, uh, there is another factor, right? Like in a sense, uh, the the data size. When it comes to data size itself, like uh, you want to look at what is your uh, uh, what is your daily data size uh, in terms of 
gps right then mm-hmm. you want to look at uh, what is your uh, retention period uh, typically uh, in a pino like olap system you host your gold quality data on which you are doing some real time aggregate queries uh, firing those and getting those metrics insightful metrics right mm-hmm. so retention period can vary based on your use case mm-hmm. uh, for extreme uh, real time use cases retention period can be like 7 days or 30 days uh, and there are uh, use cases that uh, that require retention much higher retention period three, uh, could be one year or even longer or mm-hmm. or infinite retention so that also a factor sin right like that because that contributes into your total data size you want to host in pino definitely definitely and that 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 gets us into discussions of like tiered storage which is a a feature of starchy cloud it's not a right. open source apache pino thing but when when you've got long retention periods and lots of data uh often the older data you can tolerate higher latencies and so you put that in a cheaper place like s3 or something Yep, absolutely. And then uh, so so general rule of thumb when it comes to capacity sizing for accommodating data is like uh, uh, a four vcp server can host up to 1 terabyte of data. One Obviously, okay. yeah, 1 terabyte. Yeah, it can host and process data across uh, that uh, that okay. much of data. And again like take it as a uh, starting point and then you can iterate we've seen the deployments where we've gone uh, like a 4 vcp server with 2 terabytes as well and uh, things are fine obviously uh, there is uh, a factor of query selectivity as well that comes into play i'll talk about it as uh, as as the next point uh, right. but but yeah this should serve as a good rule of thumb to start with okay okay those are those are actually good concrete things so it's not not terribly stressful to deploy a terabyte of storage onto uh, a server like that uh, yeah. so that's that's good okay yeah and then now lastly another factor is obviously number of segments again number of segments is also uh, derived based on how much data you're hosting mm-hmm. uh, typically in pino uh like uh, a segment is a chunk of data that can be operated on independently so more segments you have higher degree of parallelism you have right uh, but then again uh, it should not be an overkill as well too many small segments is also can also cause uh, uh, right. issues there right like in so terms of do you tune segment size typically is that a thing that you're also yeah. looking at yeah. okay so typically like a uh, typical recommendation uh, is segment size between 100 mb to 500 mb right and then okay. uh, make sure to have uh, segments uh, within that uh, that size range uh, and so now number of segments uh, how many segments we are hosting in pino uh, influences like uh, like how beefier you want your controller to be because controller is actually doing that segment to server assignment and doing a little bit of uh, 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 no i wouldn't call it heavy lifting but do, uh, it kind of gets influenced uh, by number of segments you are hosting so uh, and again general rule of thumb is when you're uh, sizing for controller if four vcpu controller can support up to let's, let's say 10k segments right and again it's a simple rule of thumb it is and we can always uh, uh iterate based on like what you see in the cluster uh but that should work as a got it and in terms of scaling of the controller you can it can be redundant for availability but that does not scale out right so you could only scale right. that up 
Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's right. another yeah, uh, good point. So be an upper actually. bound on on what you could do with a single Pinot cluster uh, right. would be controller scaling. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, lastly, there are a few external factors, right? I mean, two of them. Uh, so uh, high availability, right? Uh, so uh, typically, uh, uh, a production-sized cluster, uh, you definitely want redundancy. Uh, mostly, we're talking in context of cloud, where uh, uh, you're deploying in a virtual private cloud. Uh, so VMs can go down and you want to make sure you have enough capacity to serve uh, serve your workloads, even if, uh, let's say, server restarts and things like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So typical recommendation is go with a replication factor of three when it comes to your VMs okay. and uh, also the segment size. Uh, I mean, number of segments, right? Like Or rather, replication factor of segments. Uh, that should be also uh, uh, at least three replicas in the server. So they can be spread across multiple servers. Uh, and at Startery, we are making Pinot easy aware uh, so that you know each replica will uh, is guaranteed to be deployed on on a different AZ. So in case of AZ failure, uh, you still have high availability. Right? To and to be clear on that, you say at, at Startery is that a thing that we're doing? in our cloud product, or is that just, there are folks at Startree who work on open source Apache Pino and Pino itself will get uh, data center. Yeah. No, we, we contribute a lot to open source, right? Like uh, we definitely take a hard look at a given requirement, whether it is for the enterprises or is it like it will benefit the wider, uh, uh, wider set of users. So we contribute to OSS Pino. Yeah. I think this easy aware Pino is something that we are deploying in uh, open source, if I remember correctly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's always, I, I, I always have to check when it comes to yeah. things like that. You know, is this a, is this a roadmap thing for cloud that I'm not supposed to be talking about? Or is there a Jira somewhere? And this, this is in Pino, you know, it's a, uh, uh, we, we, we need to be good citizens. We need to be very yeah. clear about that. So, uh, cool. Yeah, and then uh, lastly, the types of workloads again, like the the query selectivity that I was talking about earlier. Right, you have high selectivity queries or low selectivity queries. Uh, highly selective queries, uh, you can accommodate uh, a lot more of those uh, uh, queries in a smaller infra footprint versus we have very low selectivity queries, which is uh, gen that's what we are seeing like uh, off late, right? Uh, like Pino has been uh, predominantly used as a OLAP data store mm -hmm. um, with generally speaking high selectivity queries or group by OLAP queries. But as we've introduced joins and uh, uh, opened it up, uh, we have actually opened up Pino for um, quite a few other use cases. Uh, and, so we are seeing and, that as well. And you see folks with low selectivity queries scanning many, many rows or even worse, returning many, many rows um, and, and optimizing cases like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and and how's that go? I mean, what where where are the boundaries there? Um, surely there are some cases where, hey, look, we're engineers in a lab database. This just isn't going to work well. But um, how? I don't know if you have any rules of thumb or numbers yeah. you can share. Yeah, uh, not a number per se, but uh, so we want to be, definitely want to make sure that uh, you know uh, you're using 
Pinot for the right reasons, right? The 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 use cases that Pinot powers are really like user-facing analytics use cases. So there is an end user that is sitting on the other side waiting for a response where your uh, latencies are expected to be in milliseconds. Uh, mm-hmm. User-facing being like a uh, lo- uh, lot of concurrent workloads coming in. So under high throughput, you want millisecond latencies, right? So... Right. Uh, and it's a end user facing product so it's a web browser that could be serving an application or a mobile app or uh, or a desktop application for that matter so from that perspective that uh, client itself has its own limitations uh, in terms of how much proce- data it can process and uh, right so uh, so you wouldn't expect like billions of records to be returned uh, by a system like pino uh, right obviously. that that, that- that that would be weird, um, and even even you know for a transactional database they'll do that. They're going to have paging, and they're good at at fetching whole rows, and like all of that is kind of going with the wood grain of the system. But yeah, right, fetching billions of rows out of a database usually can we can we do something else? You know, right? <laughs> are there are there parquet files somewhere? Anything? You know, I guess it wouldn't be parquet then. It would be it's Avro, but you know, yeah, something. Uh, what else? What else? This is this. I, I, I'm getting a lot of good concrete rules of thumb here, which is nice. Yeah. So you're not just talking in generalities. Now I feel like, oh, okay. Well, that's how big a segment should be, and that's kind of how many queries per second this kind of server can do. And and this is really good. How do you? Uh, what's this like in the real world when you're doing this with people who are actually trying to get things done? And before you answer that, I the thing with people actually trying to get things done in in my world. When I'm I'm trying to explain Pinot to people for the first time, that's a mm-hmm. lot of what my team does. Um, the The problem is it's this new thing, and new things are hard to understand. And, and Pinot's not so hard to understand, but it's still you know you're 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 helping people with something new. And so when you give examples, you tailor those examples to the task of of the teaching that you're doing. In other words, the kinds of use cases I talk about. Mm. are always strangely ideal, you know, because you don't, you don't want to be doing a lot of mapping of uh, this doesn't quite fit, but we're going to try to do it anyway because you don't have space in your mind for that confusion. You're already confused about the new thing, and, you know, we're just trying to help you through the new thing. So my, my examples, my use cases, any sample code, it's always perfect, right? Wow, this is the best Pinot use case in the world. And that's not because I'm trying to you know, make something look good that isn't. It's just that the cognitive process of trying to learn something, it's not time to be stretching. Yeah. But you, you have people in the real world who have problems that are good enough use cases for Pinot that they want to use it, but they're, oh, it's always a little weird. It's always a little mismatch. There's always the strange things where the tool does the job, but you got to kind of, so what, how do you do it in the real world? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we have seen like a huge explosion of use cases uh, uh, that are uh, that Pinot is powering. Like, uh, I mean, one example uh, is, uh, you know, a feature store use case that we onboarded recently, right? Uh, key value store, right? I mean, uh-huh. when we looked at the query pattern, we thought, should we take it or not? Like, uh-huh, we right. took a hard look at it. And then, but the query was uh, very, very high selectivity query. Uh, okay. the, the use case needed. Uh, support for upsert which uh, pino natively supports uh, 
Pino is the only OLAP technology that supports upsets natively, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the expectation was just give me that particular one most recent value from 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 the data set, and it's a frequently changing uh, like uh, right. intraday upsets coming. How big? In. How big was the row? How like how many fields and how many bytes? Oh, it was a wide column data set about nice. uh, I think three fifty columns. In oh, there. good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I can see why you might kind of scratch your head first and wonder, yeah. should we should we do this? But uh, you did it. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, uh, we actually took it up and uh, uh, the the technical KPIs that, that the use case needed because it is a key value store being used by applications, extremely high P95 latency, like, uh, sorry, extremely low P95 latency, like 15, yeah. under 15 milliseconds, right? Oh, wow. Ingestion rate uh, expected was like uh, in uh, uh, ten thousands and uh, read QPS or uh, uh, read QPS particularly was in uh, also in thousands. Like they wanted us to see if we can support like five thousand QPS for read uh, and super super wide rows. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were able to actually support this use case with a small infra footprint. Nice. Well, uh, you've got a blog post on this topic, and that's going to be linked in the show notes. Um, And as a person who in the world is responsible for helping actual clusters get built and configured to solve actual problems, uh, you just, this is, this is really helpful expertise. I appreciate you writing about it and showing up on the podcast. I know you've got lots more things in this, in this area to share. And uh, I think, I think probably be back on the show for those in the future. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, the blog post actually co- will cover all the KPIs that we talked about. It will talk about the general rule of thumb and that can, uh, it is, I think it is a two part series. So part one talks about the KPIs, part two talks about the use, a specific uh, use case uh, for which we've done the sizing. So yeah, so will be, uh, I think that should work as a good uh, framework to start with if someone wants to do the capacity planning. My guest today has been Sandeep Dabade. Sandeep, thanks for being a part of the Real-Time Analytics Podcast. Thanks, Tim. Uh, it's always a, uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. If you feel compelled to help us spread the word and grow the Real-Time Analytics community, you can give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you're watching us on YouTube, hey, subscribe and, of course, hit that notification bell. And you can always share your favorite episodes on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever it is you do social media. Thanks, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.